Welcome. Thank you for listening. We're currently working our way through the book of Joshua, celebrating the God who keeps every promise he has ever made. If you're in the Milwaukee area and you're looking for a church home, we'd love to meet you. You can connect with us more through our website, harvestcommunity.org. So we are nearing the end of our Joshua sermon series. We've been here for quite a while. I don't know if you're newer uh, to Harvest, if you just recently started joining us. We did take a short break for Advent, but we've been in Joshua for quite some time. And this morning we are in chapter 23, the second to the last chapter of the entire book. Next Sunday will be our final Sunday in Joshua. We have seen God keep every promise every step of the way so far. And here we come to the second to the last chapter, and this is a complete sermon from Joshua. I want you just to absorb that for a second. What a privilege it is that we hold in our hands the word of God, a sermon from Joshua, from all those thousands of years ago, Joshua, nearing the end of his life, stands up to give a message to his people And we hold it here. So there's really nothing I could do better this morning to start than by just reading it. But I want us to sit under the reading of Scripture, not as just information, taking it in. But I I want us to hear Joshua's final address to the people of God, his sermon, his message, Joshua chapter 23. A long time after the Lord had given Israel rest from all the enemies around them, Joshua was old, advanced in age. So Joshua summoned all Israel, including its elders, leaders, judges, and officers, and said to them, I am old, advanced in age, and you have seen for yourselves everything the Lord your God did to all these nations on your account, because it was the Lord your God who was fighting for you. See, I have allotted these remaining nations to you as an inheritance for your tribes, including all the nations I have destroyed from the Jordan westward to the Mediterranean sea. The Lord, your God will force them back on your account and drive them out before you so that you can take possession of their land as the Lord, your God promised you be very strong and continue obeying all that is written in the book of the law of Moses so that you do not turn from it to the right or the left And so that you do not associate with these nations remaining among you. Do not call on the names of their gods or make an oath to them. Do not serve them or bow in worship to them. Instead, be loyal to the Lord your God as you have been to this day. The Lord has driven out great and powerful nations before you, and no one is able to stand against you to this day. One of you routed a thousand because the Lord your God was fighting for you as he promised. So diligently watch yourselves. Love the Lord your God. If you ever turn away and become loyal to the rest of these nations remaining among you, and if you intermarry or associate with them and they with you, Know for certain that the Lord your God will not continue to drive these nations out before you. They will become a snare and a trap for you, a sharp stick for your sides and thorns in your eyes until you disappear from this good land the Lord your God has given you. I am now going the way of the whole earth, and you know with all your heart and all your soul that none 
of the good promises the Lord your God made to you has failed. Everything was fulfilled for you. Not one promise has failed. Since every good thing the Lord your God promised you has come about, so he will bring on you every bad thing until he has annihilated you from this good land the Lord your God has given you. If you break the covenant of the Lord your God, which he commanded you, and go and serve other gods and bow and worship to them, the Lord's anger will burn against you and you will quickly disappear from this good land he has given you. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. And this is Joshua at the end of his life gathering a message for all Israel. Now, he didn't have all Israel seated in each individual chairs before him as it is in this room, a similar setup. Instead, he gathered representative leadership. Uh, Verse one says he gathered, or not verse one, but he says he gathered elders, heads, judges, and officers to give them this message in verse two. He did this when he was around 100 years old, and he starts his address off with this fact. And now I am about to go the way of all the earth. Buried for us in the Hebrew language of these verses is the word today. He thought it might be that very day. And now, literally, maybe today, I might go the way of the whole earth. This might be my last day on earth. Now, I don't know when you joined the Joshua series or or how well you've been tracking with us, but to make us feel the weight of this, to allow us into the importance of this, I have to give a little bit of context here. So Moses, the one who God used to deliver Israel from the slavery they experienced in Egypt, Moses, who led them across the Red Sea, led them through the wilderness, died, and there had been no one like him since. But the Lord, in Joshua chapter 1, came to Joshua. Joshua was one of two spies who bravely went in, uh, two two spies who gave a good report. Out of the 12 spies who went, 10 came back and said, there's no way we can possess the land God has promised to us. But Joshua and Caleb said, we can. We believe God is who he says he is. He is faithful and these giants are nothing. We can defeat them. Joshua was a man of war, of bravery and boldness. In Joshua chapter one, God makes promises to Joshua to raise him up and to use him. And God never fails him and Joshua never wavers. Here at the end of his life, Joshua says, I may be dying today at about a hundred years old, that 100 years of age, Joshua says, I have a message for you. And my question for you this morning is, would you like to hear that? That man who God had walked with every day of his life, who he had learned from intently, heard from the Lord, seen God show up in every circumstance This man stands up, grabs representative leadership so that he can get the message out to the whole nation. Said, I have a message for you because today I might die. This is what's most important. I've been sitting with this passage for a couple weeks and I am convinced that this message from Joshua is just as important for us today as it was to them. We're not listening in just out of historical interest, though that part of me is piqued. 
but we're not just watching some civil war reenactment in the eastern part of the United States. We're not just watching uh, some sort of relic. We're not just interested as if we're tuning into the history channel. The word of God is living and active. The New Testament writer said, all scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable. This message from Joshua is for you. Today, this message from Joshua is for me. Joshua was at the finish line And he longed for the people of God to do two things. To look at all the Lord has done and to love the Lord in such a way that it looked like intense loyalty. To look and to love and to be loyal. This is Joshua's burden. He could have said anything here. And this is what he says. The 100-year-old Joshua is passing down a message to younger representatives that they may pass it down generationally to younger, um, to the next generation. And, and it winds up before us this morning. There's a generational burden, as it were, to this message. It's best represented in Psalm 78. Let me, let me read Psalm 78 for us this morning. My people, hear my instruction. Listen to the words of my mouth. I will declare wise sayings. I will speak mysteries from the past. Things We have heard and known and that our ancestors have passed down to us. We will not hide them from their children, but will tell a future generation the praiseworthy acts of the Lord, his might and the wondrous works he has performed. He established a testimony in Jacob and set up a law in Israel, which he commanded our ancestors to teach their children so that a future generation, children yet to be born, might know. They were to rise and tell their children so that they might put their confidence in God and not forget God's works, but keep his commands. Then they would not be like their ancestors, a stubborn and rebellious generation, a generation whose heart was not loyal, that word is important, and whose spirit was not faithful to God. There is a generational burden that Joshua has and what he is going to hand down is not simply rituals and tradition, not merely stories, but the story whose origin is with God the Father and his great works on behalf of his people. And Joshua says, look, look at all the Lord has done and tell the next generation, continue to look. And then after you have looked, be proportionately loyal So look and love and be loyal. This is the whole of Joshua's message in chapter 23. Author Dale Ralph Davis, who's been brilliant, a brilliant read through the book of Joshua, massively helpful to me, impresses that it is the job of parents to tell their children about what God has done. He calls them witnesses in their own homes. Davis writes, none of it is boring or tedious or dull as though the next generation would only yawn. What is dull about a God who became flesh, who did what no one had ever done, perfectly kept God's law, who became the God forsaken one in my place, who trampled all over death, who reigns now over the universe. This faith we must teach to our children for Canaan has all sorts of evangelists calling for decisions. Davis says 
in the spirit of Joshua 23, that there is a job of Christians to tell the next generation. Parents are witnesses in their own homes to tell their children not just about God. That's, that's the easy part. I experienced this last night. Uh, one of the best things I've done for family devotions, if you're a parent and you've tried family devotions, they're tough. So don't feel bad. Just keep going in them. My, my dad used to... I, most of my memories of family devotions growing up were memories of family devotions ending early. Um, they were sheer frustration. My sister and I would just begin laughing out of nowhere. We found the whole thing funny. I don't know what it was, nerves or, or what it is. Um, but th- I remember my dad being frustrated. And now I know why. Because as a parent, you sit down with the best of intentions and you want everything to be perfect. And you've got this book and this book's awesome. So one of the easiest things that I found is to buy a, a trustworthy devotional that'll walk your children through uh, material that they need to hear from scripture and read it with them. So with our younger boys, uh, we're going through a book on prayer. And then with my older two, I'm reading through the New Testament, just chunk by chunk, and it makes it easy. But what I was convicted of last night after preparing this sermon for the last two weeks was that it's so easy to tell my kids about God because I can just open up this little yellow hardcover book that I bought at a conference. It's a wonderful book. Um, if, if parents, if you're looking for anything specifically on prayer, ask me, I'll recommend this book to you um, to teach your kids. It's so easy to tell them about God and to talk theology with them. But what this passage is doing is it's calling us to something different. And I had to apply it last night. It's we have to tell our kids what God has done for us. It's so easy, not easy, but it's easy to open up a book and we're reading about prayer. And right now we're in the Psalms. And so last night, the Psalms tell us that we can give God thanks. So then we read three different psalms that said, these psalms teach us that we can give God thanks. Is that true? Yes, that's great. And they're supporting scripture and it was awesome. But it was about Thanksgiving and I was tired and God was working on my heart because I knew what I was preaching this morning and I had to stop and say, like, this is what God's done in my life that I'm thankful for. This is something God, I have prayed to God and I know God has heard me and God has answered prayer in your dad's life. This is what the scripture is talking about. That parents are witnesses, not just on short-term missions trips, not once a year for a week in a foreign country, but witnesses in your own homes. And some of you may be asking, what if I don't have children? I'm so glad you're asking that question because it is the job of the whole Christian community to tell the next generation about God and what specifically the Lord has done in them. Let me apply it most easily. It is the job of the membership of Harvest Community Church. If you call Harvest Community home, it is your job to tell the next generation what the Lord has done in you. This is not a position we hire. Evangelical churches hit the easy button. We usually hire the person who's best with kids, and then we just put the whole burden on them. Imagine having the burden for teaching all the children in the church on one staff position. And then in a season of staff turnover, we're like, what are we going to do? 
It is the job of the entire community to tell the next generation what the Lord has done. We should never have a shortage of workers and harvest kids. Right now we have people who are meeting with my kids, some of your kids, and telling them about Jesus. Some of the most important work being done for the kingdom is being done right now, about a hundred feet from us, and we need you to be involved in it. Let's say, what if Harvest Kids is full and they don't need more volunteers? You may have nephews and nieces. And rather than being just funny for your dad jokes or being the uncle who drives crazy or whatever your reputation is, take time to stop and say, can I tell you about when Jesus saved my soul? Can I tell you about the moment when my life changed? Tell your niece or nephew. Maybe you don't have children and God may be working on your heart to become a foster care parent. There is a massive need in Milwaukee County for foster parents. This is a role that my wife and I never planned on taking, but God called us into and it changed us. Many of you know that I have a passion for certain countries in South Asia that my life has been transformed by sharing the gospel to unreached people groups. After becoming a foster parent in the United States, I realized that foster children are an unreached people group. No different than children and men and women in South Asia. Maybe God is working on your heart. What a privilege to not only show the heart of God to a child who maybe has not known what a father is to be a father or a mother to them, but I've been through all the training and I was never once told I couldn't share the gospel with a foster child. What an amazing opportunity to share Christ with them. Maybe you're not called into that full time. We have RFK, Royal Family Kids, where the children in the Milwaukee County foster care system get to go to camp and experience the love of Christ for a week. And we need volunteers for that. And you can talk to Brittany who plays cello here. She's, she's heading that up for us. You can talk to many people in this congregation. Lisa's here, Jim's here, and they will tell you stories about what the Lord is doing at RFK. Listen to that last line from Davis. He says for Canaan, he's being kind of a little play on words here in this context for Canaan, The non-God-fearing portion of the promised land has all sorts of evangelists. He's saying, be witnesses in your home, for Canaan has all sorts of evangelists. The most sobering reality that has hit me as a parent is I have to be involved in the formation of my children because they are always being formed. Our children are always being formed, whether we like it or not. They're never in neutral. And neither are you. You're not in neutral in your Christian formation, in your discipleship, in your growth, in your sanctification, and then you come to church and you just move forward. Every social media piece you watch is forming you. Everything you see on the news, every conversation you have, the music you listen to, the talk radio you listen to is forming you. Now put that proportionately to what you take in from the word of God. James K.A. Smith is an author, a professor in Michigan, and an author who's impacted my thinking, specifically in regards to liturgy and spiritual formation quite a bit. 
He said there's a massively important component of story informing us. And I want you to picture this. Joshua, at 100 years old, is saying, you need to remember the stories of what God has done. This is the most important thing you can do. James K.A. Smith said, we are hearing stories every day, and he's going to illustrate one for us here. James K.A. Smith says, I think consumerism is the most potent rival to the gospel we encounter. It doesn't present you with ideas to believe. It gives you rituals to live into that over time change what you want and what you think will make you happy. Consumerism's evangelism is marketing. And marketing only works by telling you a story about what the so-called good life looks like, where everybody is happy and enjoying everything. Welcome to my Instagram feed. And everybody has these products. You're so immersed in this, you don't even realize the story is becoming inscribed into your heart. And now you become the sort of person who thinks that happiness is having stuff. And our kids, we're surprised when they're never satisfied and they always want more stuff, but they sit around watching Ryan's toy reviews all day. <laughs> or they watch just like these unrealistic YouTube families who give their kids stuff all day. And we're surprised when they want more stuff. At the end of Joshua's life, he passes down the story of who God is, his faithfulness to the next generation. And he says that this story will steer our behavior. The image I have is of a truck and a trailer. The story is the truck and the trailer is our loyalty. Insert behavior, our life our obedience, our affection, our love. Which is why the story is so important. And Joshua is setting us on the right path today. There is two operating stories in this world and I want to give them to you. The story that Joshua is sourced in, the story that continued and that we are a part of to this day is the most exciting story in the world. You can't make this stuff up. This forms reality and it is this. That before anything existed, our holy God existed into eternity past. And in a real moment in time, that God, he created everything. Why did he create everything? He created everything and everyone for his glory and out of love. He created us as people so that we'd have peace with him, that we'd have peace with one another and even all creation, that we'd have love and relationship and harmony. God created that. We'd have communion with him and we'd have communion relationship with one another. But sin came in and shattered everything. And every generation that's been born after that has been born into a broken world. From our earliest memories, we have not been obeying God and we've been dissatisfied, trying to figure out how to get peace in our own way, often in very destructive ways. But God, in another real recorded time in human history 2,000 years ago, sent his one and only son, Jesus Christ, to be born fully God, fully man, lived a perfect life, kept the law fully. Every way we've gone wrong, he kept it right. And then he offered himself a once and for all perfect sacrifice so that we could be reunited to God, at peace with God, at peace with one another. This is the good news that we call the gospel. When Jesus modeled for us that there's even more to come. He said, if I go 
and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you so that where I am, you may be also. And so we not only have here salvation so full and free, we have a future with God the Father because of Jesus Christ. But here we sit between these two moments, here and forever. And in that time, we are letting the light in from that kingdom into this space. Here's what I mean. We have blinds on those three windows. I went away this last week as on vacation. I went away to a hotel with my wife. She sleeps in at a professional level. Her and my oldest son, if there was an Olympic event for sleeping in, they, they're just, they're amazing at it. I wake up early with dad pride, less kind that you like want to get up and have coffee so that everybody wakes up. You can tell them that you've been up for a long time already. There's just something genetically as dads that we have for that. She, she doesn't need that sort of pride. She's just good sleeping in. So when we go away, um, I get up early, find coffee, whatever, live half a day before anybody gets up, all the stuff I can. I'm exhausted by the time you guys wake up, that sort of thing. When I went, when I went back up to the room this last time, I saw that the, the, the room was supposed to have room darkening shades, right? So it should, be, it should be pitch black in the room if you want it to be pitch black sleeping in, in a hotel. That's what you pay for. But this one, the light was streaming in from the edges, which I thought less than ideal for her. But I was finishing this sermon, and I thought, you know, we live here in this imperfect, still broken world with hope of this eternal future of the perfect kingdom of Christ. And my job here is like that shade. I'm supposed to let light from there pierce into here. So I live here, I live here in hope of what is to come but with kingdom values, letting light in from there. That's why you will never hear me promote or espoused fear-based news of Christians huddling in bunkers, rationing their food, waiting for the rapture. Because I don't believe that's what Jesus modeled for us or commanded us to live out. We are letting the light in from the kingdom into this world until he comes again. Very briefly, I will tell you the sad story that our world lives out. You were born into a world that has a relatively unknown origin. You're created, I guess, primarily for yourself and your story and your happiness. When life ends, there's likely nothing after it. In the meantime, your happiness is your greatest good. And typically people in power get you access to money so that you can buy more products that make you happy. That's where James K. Smith was getting with the consumerism. And you might as well get as much of it as you can now and live your best life now because it's basically all you have. It's a, this is as good as it's going to get, so stay young as long as you can. That's why you, we idolize health in our country. That's why we want things because there's really nothing more. That's the sad, godless reality that our culture, that's the story. And so what is that truck? What kind of trailer does it pull? It pulls a trailer that says, I'm going to get stuff at all costs. So if I have to neglect my family by working 100 hours a week, I'll do it. Some of you are training for careers right now. You will be tempted. You'll face ethical dilemmas in your career. Well, the reason people 
step on those ethical landmines in their fields is because it gets them more power, more access to people and more stuff. But Jesus came and taught us a completely different set of ethics. He said, the meek are going to inherit the earth. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are the peacemakers. So we are loyal to the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And we pull up the shade and let light in to where we are at until the day he returns and we're with him forever. That is the story. That is the good story we live out. So Joshua in chapter 23 splits up all the verses. He actually staggers this message between he rotates at least two full times into saying, look at what the Lord has done and then love him and be loyal to him. Point one, look at what the Lord has done. Joshua first directs the attention of people to the faithfulness of God. God's faithfulness is the starting point for our own. There is something in this story that we are being conformed by and we're being transformed to. It's like the book of Ephesians. In Ephesians chapter one, two, and three, we are told that we have, we're blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, that we are saved by grace through faith and in Christ alone in chapters one, two, and three. And then in chapters four, five, and six, we are told uh, to obey our parents, to husbands, love your wives, to be kind and tenderhearted, forgiving one another. Paul even takes this truck of here's who God is and this trailer of here's how we live. Joshua continues this in verse 14. Look at the second half of verse 14. Everything was fulfilled for you. Not one promise has failed. Now point two. Love the Lord in all you do. Joshua calls the people of God back to the first and the greatest commandment recorded in Deuteronomy 6, 5. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. Jesus came and in Matthew 22, verse 37, restated this. What is the first and greatest commandment? To love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and with all your strength. But I want us to go to verse 8. Verse 8 in the middle of Joshua 23 forms the emphasis for the whole chapter. Let's read verse 8. Instead, as opposed to, you got to look back a little bit to verse 7. Verse 7 says, do not serve these idols or bow in worship to them. Verse 8, instead be loyal to the Lord your God as you have been to this day. This is the most important word for you to understand all morning. If you're a person who takes notes, you're going to write down that word loyal, and you're going to know that in other transition, translations, they use two other words, love. Be careful to love. Be careful to be loyal. Be careful to hold fast. But they all have a Hebrew root in the origin of welding or soldering. To put two pieces of metal together into one. That idea of combining, bonding two metals together is at the very root of this verse eight. Be careful, cling to, hold fast, love, be careful in your loyalty. Be so mindful in your loyalty to the King of Kings because God is so jealous for our worship of him and he does not want us to compete with any idols. So Joshua 23 comes to Harvest Community Church this morning and says, be very 
careful because you heard Caleb talk about those two different stories and you're like, I'm already on the side of the Christian story. I'm not on that uh, the atheistic, that doubtful, dark story that lacks God. I'm not on that. But Joshua knows and I know and I believe you know that there is a synthesis of the two stories that we struggle with. You see here, he says, be very careful to love the Lord. Be very careful in your loyalty as you navigate the land full of idols and, and, and false religions. Be very careful careful to remain loyal to him. Why does he say this? Because he knows there's a third option with that story. Much, if not most, of what is called Christian in America today is operating on a third version, which loves the bookends of the Christian story. Yeah, God created everything. And Jesus died so that I can be with him forever. But between these two things... I'm not cracking open the shade, letting the light into this world. I copied and pasted the middle of the secular story into my story. Most of evangelicalism, even major Christian leaders of fancy churches are living this out to this day. How do I know I'm tempted by it every day? It's this. I know biblically that God created everything. I know historically and biblically that Jesus came. I know that because he paid for my sins, I will live with him forever. But while I'm here, I want people, access to power and money that can buy me things. And I want to live my best life now. I want to worship my physical health. I want to worship my material goods. I want to worship my home. I want to worship my kids. I want to relive my childhood through them, through their sports that I can no longer do anymore. I want to spend all my time following them around to tournaments all around the country for sports they'll never get paid to play. I want, I want my best life now, because it's all here. And then when I die, I know it'll, it'll get better. I don't know how, but I'll be with Jesus forever. Joshua 23 comes to the United States today to Harvest Community Church in Oak Creek to this first service and says this, Harvest, be so careful. Just because you believe in creation, just because you believe in Jesus does not mean you're living into the story of the culture. Be so very careful to love him. Paul in Romans 12 comes to us in verses 1 and 2 and says, Brothers and sisters, in view of the mercies of God, I urge you to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true worship. And don't be conformed to this age, verse 2. You'll be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may discern what is good, pleasing in the perfect will of God. Jesus Christ is coming to us in the first quarter of 2024, and he's inviting you to transfer your allegiance in this life to King Jesus. Not your job, not even your family. Not the United States of America. This is, this is first of all, a Christian church, not an American church. We are loyal first and foremost to Jesus Christ, the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And all our devotion, all of our worship is him. It's directed towards him. And Joshua 23 comes to us this morning and says, be so very careful that you have not espoused 
a synthetic version of your faith and mixed with the culture and you worship both things and God, that you worship both America and the kingdom of Jesus Christ. Be very, very careful that your love for me is pure. In conclusion, in verses 15 through 16, he ends in a very sobering place, saying that God is faithful both to bless and to judge. And he gives them this reality. If you navigate and mix with the culture, nothing good will come from it. Sin simply is not engineered to work. All of our flourishing will be in the kingdom of God. But the key as we close and transition to communion, the key to unlocking chapter 23 is in verse 16. Look at verse 16 as we close. If you break the covenant of the Lord your God, if you break the covenant, this judgment will come upon you. I have the good news. I have the privilege of delivering to you the good news this morning that Jesus came and by his blood started a new covenant for us. One that is not based on our obedience or our behavior, but that we are welded to God forever through faith by grace alone because of the work of Jesus. As we will sing at the end of this service in just a few minutes, no power of hell, no scheme of man can ever pluck us from his hand till he returns or calls us home here in the power of Jesus Christ, we will stand. And so I end with the words of Paul, in light of the incredible mercies of God harvest, present your whole selves as a living sacrifice to God as an act of worship. I'm gonna invite the ushers to come forward. As we prepare for communion this morning, I would like us to do what isn't always common in this church. I'd like to leave room for silent reflection. Nothing would make the enemy tremble more than a church who would hit its knees and confess to God ways in which their devotion to him has been mixed or lacking. My burden for harvest this morning is that we would return to our first love, a passionate, pure devotion to King Jesus. So I ask that as you receive the elements, that you hold them, that you enter a time of silent prayer this morning. Maybe be honest with God about ways that you have been mixed in your devotion to him. And pledge your loyalty to King Jesus. We'll take the elements in just a minute together.